بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ومن تمسك بسنته إلى يوم الدين ثم أما بعد يا عباد الله it is a must that we couple learning with application. قال الإمام فضيل بن عياد رحمه الله تعالى لا يزال العالم جاهلا بما علم حتى يعمل به فإذا عمل به كان عالما the great Imam Fudayl ibn Iyad Rahimahullahu Ta'ala He said And the scholar He will continue To be one who is ignorant Until he acts in accordance To what he knows Or until he acts in accordance to His knowledge And once he has acted in accordance to his knowledge Then he will be a scholar once he has acted in accordance to his knowledge, then he will be a scholar. وقال الإمام أيضا and the Imam he also said إنما يراد من العلم العمل والعلم دليل العمل He said that verily that which is required or that which is sought after with regards to علم is action that the reason that the knowledge is wanted is to act in accordance to it because knowledge is the proof for the action because knowledge is the proof for the action وقال الإمام أيضا وعلى الناس أن يتعلموا فإذا علموا فعليهم he said it is upon mankind to learn And once they have learned Then it is upon them to act The Salaf They used to say علم المنافق في قوله وعلم المؤمن في عمله The Salaf they used to say that The knowledge of a hypocrite is found in his statements whereas the knowledge of the believer then it is in his actions it is found inside of his actions there is no doubt about it that it is incumbent upon each and every one of us to learn and to implement and act upon that which we know learning and acquiring knowledge Another thing which points to the superiority of learning and seeking knowledge is that it is from the means to rectify the deen and the dunya. But it has to be done in a correct manner. And it has to be done properly. Thus, there puts an emphasis on the importance of the proper education. 
and a sound education. Because without the sound education, then you will find many areas of the society will become corrupted. قال Imam Sa'di, Imam Sa'di, he said, وَمِنَ الْأُصُولِ الْعَظِيمَةِ الْمُهِمَّةِ لِصَلَاحِ الدِّينِ وَالدُّنْيَا He said, and from the tremendous principles that are extremely important for the rectification of the deen and for the rectification of the dunya. He says, He said that it is to embark upon rectifying the educational system, rectifying the education and the educational system. Naam. The Shaykh says, And also for the rectification of a person's akhlaq, for his character, for his mannerisms. Then we have to rectify what? Rectify the education. And place an importance upon the education. وَلِهَذَا يَجِبُ الْعِنَايَ فِي جَمِيعِ الْمَدَارِسِ وَالْمَعَاهِدِ وَتَعَالِيمِ الْإِبْتِدَائِيَّةِ وَالْنِهَائِيَّةِ فِتَعَالِيمِ الدِّينِ He says, so therefore, it is incumbent that or therefore, it is incumbent that we have a strong concern and a complete concern with regards to all of the educational institutions, all of the centers of learning, whether they are elementary centers of learning or whether they are higher centers of learning, that we put an emphasis and a focus upon learning the deen, upon learning the deen. وتطبيق الأخلاق الدين على معلمين ومتعلمين and also that we put an emphasis on making sure that the mannerisms of the deen are actualized and that they are implemented both for the teachers and instructors as well as for the pupils and the students ولهذا أثره الفعال and you will find the good traces of this and the excellent repercussions of this, of the ones who do this with a most excellent result upon the education. And you will find the attainment of its fruits at Diniyya both in the deen as well as in the dunya. In the deen as well as in the dunya. The Shaykh goes on and he says, فَتَعَلِيمُ الدِّينِ إِذَا جُعِلَتْ هِيَ الْأَسَاسِ وَالْأَصْلِ فِي الْتَعْلِيمِ ثُمَّ تُبِقَتْ التَّعْلِيمِ الْأُخْرَى عَلَيْهَا وَأَنَّهَا مِنْ وَسَائِلِهَا وَمِمَّا يُعِيِّنُ عَلَيْهَا وَكُلُّهَا تَرُجِعُ إِلَيْهَا فَإِنَّ الدِّينِ يَهْدِي وَيَرْشُدُ لِلَّتِي هِيَ أَقْوَمْ وَأَصْلَحْ مِنْ جَمِيعِ الْعُلُومِ الَّتِي تَفِيدُ النَّاسِ فِي دِينِهِمْ وَالدُّنْيَاهُمْ وَيَسْتَغْنُونَ بِهَا 
anil ajanib. The Imam, he says something that is very important here. He says something that is tremendous here. And I want everyone to pay close attention to it and really to reflect upon it. Bithnilahi ta'ala. The Imam rahimahullahu ta'ala, he says, so therefore, the learning of the deen, this has to be made the foundation and the origin for learning. That when it comes to education, the education of the deen has to be the foundation for upon which all of our education is built. And this is a concept that is very important because too often is the case that there is a separation between learning the deen and learning worldly affairs. You will find a disconnection between them in the minds of educators, in the minds of pupils and instructors and so on and so forth. But this is not correct and this is not accurate. But rather you will find that the education of the deen should be the origin upon which all of our other education is built upon. The Imam, he goes on and he says, and then we have to apply the what we learn from the deen, right, to the other sciences or to our other learnings. So we have to apply what we have learned from our deen and apply this to our other fields of study. The Shaykh, he says, and we have to consider these other fields of study as that which will help us and that which will assist us and that which is a means to understanding and helping us upon the deen. And that all of the education, it ultimately will return back to the deen. It ultimately will return back to the deen. So there is no separation ever for a Muslim with regards to his values, with regards to what he is upon, his aqidah, so on and so forth, there's never a disconnect between that and between whatever other fields of studying he may be doing. But the reality is that these other fields of study, they will ultimately return back to the seeking of knowledge of the deen and of our religious education, and they will be that which will aid us upon that. I'll give you an example. When one ponders about those skills that are needed to read, from learning alif ba from learning the grammar, and the like, he will find that this is in essence that which will aid him in the seeking of knowledge. This is that which will aid him in the seeking of religious knowledge. Likewise, I give you another example. A person learning mathematics, it will help and aid him in his seeking of religious knowledge. So we look at it from the standpoint. So learning algebra, learning fractions, and so on and so forth, right? All of this will enter into and help an individual upon his studies of the deen. Because without math, without math, how would it be possible to divide the inheritance properly? Without a perf person having a grasp 
of mathematical concepts, how would it be possible for them to divide the inheritance properly? How would it be possible for them to calculate exact the exact amount of wealth that they have to give in zakat without mathematics? So a person's study of mathematics now, the perception now, it will shift and it will change. It will change from this a pure study of mathematics for the reason of studying mathematics to studying mathematics as that which will aid him into better understanding his religion and to be able to apply those rules and regulations that have to be applied that will require some knowledge of mathematics in order to be applied. So we have to change our concept. We have to change the way in which we look at things. And the Shaykh, he says that all of the things that we learn, ultimately, it has to return back to the deen. It has to return back to the deen. That we constantly be put the deen and we judge by way of the deen. Because the deen is that which guides, it is that which will direct us to that which is better and that which is superior and that which is more suitable and more correct. Nam, in all of the sciences, in all of the sciences, Nam, all of those sciences that benefit mankind, all of those sciences that benefit mankind inside of the deen and inside of the dunya, it refer, it returns back to what? To the deen. It, refer, it returns back to the deen, Nam. And if we approach education from this from this way, you will find that it will enable us to free ourselves from that which the ajanib they have and what the shaykh he means here by al ajanib he means those disbelieving non-arab cultures those disbelieving non-arab educational systems and the like that we are in no need of that but rather our deen it is that which will come and critique whatever they may teaching us whether it is on an elementary level or it is on uh, a higher level of higher education. So I'll give you an example. When the professor comes to us and he tries to teach us E equals MC square, we will say that this is a concept that is rejected by us. Because the reality is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who creates and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who destroys. And for you to want us to believe in something contrary to that, then it will be rejected in every which way, shape, and form. Because the reality is what? Allah Ta'ala, He is the Creator. And Allah Ta'ala, He is the one who arranges the affairs. Allah Ta'ala, He is the giver of life, the one who causes death. So it is incumbent that as we learn, we refer everything back to the deen. And this way you will find that the pupil, he will not be affected by the false concepts and by the inaccuracies and miseducations of the kuffar. So when they come to us and they try to teach us something about Darwinism and the like, then we know this is something that is rejected. We know that this is something that is rejected. Now, so on and so forth. This is very important. This is very important. But what this means is that this means that there has to be some type of preparation. There has to be some concern for education. And this is an encouragement to myself 
and to all those who are hearing my voice to take this matter seriously. To take this matter seriously. Because you find, unfortunately, one of the shortcomings of our communities, it lies in the lack of proper schools. We don't have proper schools. And in some communities, we don't have schools, period. Ma'am, and this is something that has to change. We can't allow this uh, deficiency to perpetuate. But we have to nip this where it is and eradicate this by establishing centers of learning where we may therein educate our children correctly. Where therein we ourselves can be educated correctly. This is something that we have to put a focus and an emphasis upon. This is something that is a must. This is not an option, but rather this is something that is a must. Ma'am, is that we put an effort into establishing schools, schools upon the Sunnah. Because unfortunately, in many cases, the people, they are forced either to send their children to the schools of the Kuffar, which is not an option, when one knows the harms and the dangers that are contained therein, when one knows all of the horror stories uh, from the people who have been uh, corrupted by intermingling with the kuffar and so on and so forth, then they will realize that this is not an option. Likewise, the other option will be to send the children to the school of Ahl Bid'ah, and of the Hizbiyin. And when one understands the dangers that are contained therein, then he also realizes that this is not uh, an ideal situation where they have the children celebrating the birthday of the Prophet, where they have the children doing all kinds of things from bid'ah and so on and so forth, to the point where the parent has to sift through the homework, huh? sift through the homework to try to rectify those errors and those mistakes that are contained therein. And in this, there is a great danger. Because one is that the child, he may come home and show the parent, and the parent may catch some errors that is contained in the lesson that he was learning, or the parent may not catch some errors. So there runs the possibility of some errors not being caught. And then you have the danger of the child mixing with the little children of Ahlul Bid'ah and then they tell them and they teach them all types of superstitions and all types of uh, incorrect uh, uh, beliefs and so on and so forth of which the child may not mention to the parent and the parent will be thus unaware of it and thus won't have the ability or won't have the opportunity to debunk it and to refute it. So therein there is another problem. So when one looks from this standpoint, then he realizes that this is not an ideal situation. This is not an ideal situation. Naam. And then the other option will be to homeschool the children. The other option will be to homeschool the children. And as the parents know, this is perhaps the best of the options that we have. But even within that, because of the lack of cooperation upon good, there become some deficiencies because you may have a parent who is very good in mathematics and sciences and so on and so forth, but they may have weakness when it comes to history. They may have a weakness when it comes to the, lit the literary sciences and so on and so forth. So therein we see the deficiency. Now, 
what will be better in the meantime and in between time and as an advice will be to the establishment of homeschooling co-ops where the parents they come together and they can aid one another because you may have one parent that is good in, in math and you have another that is good in the sciences of the language and you have another that is good in you know uh, other things history and so on and so forth now I'm, and by way of this and helping and cooperating that we can fill some of these gaps and we can provide a system that is better than what we currently have and this must only be a start and it must move on from there to centers of learning that have quality learning contained therein. It is important to know and to understand that when learning, we have to begin with that which is most important. And we have to move step by step. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his noble book he says, فَعْلَمْ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ Allah Ta'ala, he says what means in Surah Muhammad, verse 19, and know, have knowledge, that nothing has the right to be worshipped in truth except Allah. And ask for forgiveness for your sins, and ask to be forgiven for your sins. In this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is commanding us to place knowledge before actions. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is indicating and teaching us where we begin with regards to knowledge. And that is by learning La ilaha illallah. That is by putting an emphasis on the affairs of a tawheed. Putting an emphasis on that which is most important. And then following it up by that which follows it in importance. The poet, he said, مَا أَكْثَرُ الْعِلْمِ وَمَا أَوْسَعُهُ وَمَنْ ذَا الَّذِي يَقْدِرُ أَنْ يَجْمَعُهُ إِنْ كُنْتَ لَبُدَّ لَهُ طَالِبًا مُحَاوِلًا فَالْتَمِسْ أَنْفَعُهُ The poet, he said, that Knowledge, or how vast is knowledge? How vast is the ilm? Ma akthar al-ilm. How vast is the ilm? And how expansive is it? And who is he who has the ability to combine all of it? And since it is a must that you become one who seeks it, then try to hold on to the best of it. Then try to hold on to the best of it. Another poet he said, وَإِذَا طَلَبْتِ الْعِلْمِ فَإِنَّهُ حَمْلٌ فَأَبْصِرَ أَيِّ شَيْءٍ تَحْمَلُ وَإِذَا عَلِمْتَ بِأَنَّ بِأَنَّهُ مُتَفَاضِلُ فَشْغِلْ فَوَادَكَ بِالَّذِي هُوَ أَفْضَلُ Another poet, he said, and the knowledge, if you are going to seek it, then verily, it is that which has to be carried. So look diligently and carefully 
at that in which you carry. And once you have known, or when you have known, that verily it is of various levels, that very it is of, ver of various levels, meaning you have some portions of knowledge that are superior to other portions of knowledge. Now, some affairs, they are more important and superior to other affairs. So once you have known that this is the nature of knowledge, then busy your heart with that which is the best. Then busy your heart with that which is the best. Naam. And like this, we have to rear and educate our children, teaching them and instilling in them to prioritize when it comes to their learning. And likewise, the instructors, they have to prioritize and this should be reflective inside of their lesson plans that they teach the children beginning from the first year of their learning. Now, from the first year of their learning by making sure they're instilling in them the importance of a tawheed and they're instilling in them the dangers of shirk. This is important and it has to be something that is reiterated every year. Not just is mentioned in pre-K, and in first grade and second grade and that's it. Or pre-KK, first grade, second grade, then that's it. But no, throughout their education, it has to always be mentioned in a manner that's upon the level of the pupil. So at every stage, if it's pre-K, then we teach them the Tawheed. And on a level in which a child of that age will understand. When they get to kindergarten, we teach them Tawheed. We warn them from the dangers of Shirk on a level in which they will understand. The same thing goes for first grade, the same thing goes for second grade, the same thing goes for, 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 for all of their learning. That is a constant reiteration of the importance of it, Tawheed, and of the dangers of shirk. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He informs us that this is the reason for which we were created, to establish the Tawheed. Naam, Allah ta'ala, He says, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ مَا أُرِيدُ مِنْهُمْ مِنْ رِسْقٍ وَمَا أُرِيدُ أَنْ يُطْعِمُونَ إِنَّ اللَّهَ هُوَ الرَّزَاقِ ذُو الْقُوَّةِ الْمَتِينَ Allah Ta'ala, He says, And I have not created the jinn nor the mankind except for them to worship me. Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala, He informs us that this is what is best for us. That we establish Tawheed, this is what is best for us. That we know that inside and out, this is what is best for us. This is what is most beneficial for us. Allah Ta'ala, He says, I don't require, I don't need from them any type of provisions, nor do I need that they will feed me. Allah Ta'ala, He goes on to explain the reality of the situation. Inna Allah huwa razaq That verily Allah Ta'ala He is the one who provides for His creatures He is the one who provides for them provisions He is the one who is the owner of great might He is the one who is the owner of great might So the establishment of a tawheed This is what benefits who? It benefits the abd it benefits the slave. Naam. Falling into shirk. This hurts who? It hurts 
the slave. It hurts the slave. So it is important and incumbent that when we learn, we begin with that which is most important. We begin with that which is most superior. And then we go to that which will follow it in superiority and in importance. So we have to begin with the Tawheed and we have to begin with warning from a shirk. This is where we have to start our education. So I encourage all who is hearing my voice, all who are hearing my voice, I encourage them to put a strong emphasis on learning a Tawheed. To put a strong emphasis on learning a Tawheed so that we know how to implement it. We know what it is. And at the same time, to put a strong emphasis on learning what is shirk so that we know what to stay away from and we know what not to do. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so many places in the Quran, He establishes the proof against mankind, showing them that they have to implement the tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, showing them that it is a must for them to single out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone in worship. Allah Ta'ala, He says, أَمْ خُلِقُوا مِنْ غَيْرِ شَيْءٍ أَمْ هُمُ الْخَالِقُونَ Allah Ta'ala, He says, And have they been created out of nowhere? Or did they create themselves? Have they been created out of nowhere? Or did they create themselves? Just springing about out of nowhere, is this a possibility? That, and, and that the creation has just sprung about out of nowhere as the kuffar would like us to believe that the creation just happened to come about out of nowhere they say this with one side of their mouths although their hearts deny it because they know there is too much order there is too much perfection to have just come about as they put it by chance. And if you would ask them to take this concept and apply it to something less, they won't accept it. If you were to tell them, for example, as the famous narration goes, if you were to tell them that there was a boat that sprung out from nowhere, the trees fell down, and they broke into planks. The way in which they fell, they fell in proper angles that they bust into various different planks of various different sizes and so on and so forth. And then from out of the ground, there came out nails that sprung up and they fell into place inside of these planks and they formed into a boat that was waterproof, it was functional, it worked. Rather, it was from the finest of boats. And then we sailed with it. They will look at you as if you are one who has lost your mind. They won't accept it from you. They won't believe you. If you rode up in a car, which was from the finest of cars that they have ever seen, and they said, what kind of car is this? Where did you get this car from? Who manufactured this car? Who produces this car? 
where can I get a car like it? And then you responded to them and you said, when I came into my driveway this morning, it was there. It just appeared from nowhere. It was there. They won't, they won't accept this from you. They will say, no, it's not possible. The engineering of it requires an engineer. It's not possible. So if they won't accept this with regards to a car and a boat. How can we accept this? How can anyone accept this with regards to the heavens and the earth? If it's not applicable for a boat, if it's not applicable for a car, how can it be applicable for the heavens and the earth? And of course we know the answer is what? It's not, because this is not the case. This is not the case. Nam, the creation has a creator. Nam, the creation, it has a creator. And that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this ayah, He questions mankind. He questions them. And more specifically, He establishes the proof against the polytheists and the kuffar. Am khuliqu min ghayri shay'in? Were they created just out of nothing from nowhere? Am humul khaliqun? Or did they create themselves? Because you find in this issue, there are only three possibilities. There are only three possibilities. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the ayah, He mentions two. He does not mention the third. So Allah ta'ala, He establishes that one possibility is what? Is that the creation came about from nowhere. That's one possibility. But as we have seen, this is not probable. This is not what happened. Uh, that's not possible. But the other possibility is what? That they created themselves. Now, that the human beings created themselves. Now that this happened, that we created ourselves, if that was the case, we will have a recollection of it. If that was the case, we will have a record of it. Right? It will be something that is well known. But it's well known that what? That that's not the case. It is well known that that is not the case. So therefore, the third and final probability was not mentioned. Because it doesn't have to be mentioned. Once it has been established that these two probabilities are not possible, then the only way that it is, is that what? Is that they had a creator and that Allah is their creator. That's the only option. So therefore, Allah Ta'ala, He does not mention it. Why? Because the conclusion is clear. If you didn't spring from nowhere, and you didn't create yourself, well, that's because you have a creator. So Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, He didn't mention the third. Naam. Ala kulli hal, we see here from this ayah, that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, the one who created us, He is the only one who deserves to be worshipped. That only the Creator deserves to be worshipped. Naam. And it's important that we teach our children this in ways in which they can understand. We speak to them upon their level. That we remind ourselves of this and teach our brothers and our sisters this. That we teach those who are new to Islam this. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is the Creator. And only the Creator deserves to be worshipped. Only the Creator deserves to be worshipped. And you find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He utilizes a tawheed al-rububiyyah inside of the Qur'an as a dalil for a tawheed al-uluhiyyah. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and I want you to write this down in your notebooks. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He utilizes a tawheed al-rububiyyah, the tawheed of Allah's lordship, as a proof and an evidence for the establishment of a tawheed al-uluhiyyah, the tawheed that all of the ibadah, all of the worship, belongs to Allah and to Allah alone. You find this often in the Quran. An example of this can be found in Allah Ta'ala's statement. Ya ayyuhan وَأَنزَلَ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً فَأَخْرَجَ بِهِ مِنَ الثَّمَرَاتِ رِزْقًا لَكُمْ فَلَا تَجْعَلُوا لِلَّهِ أَنْدَادًا وَأَنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ Allah Ta'ala, he says, and this can be found in Surah Al-Baqarah, and it is the first command in the Qur'an. The first command in the Qur'an. Allah Ta'ala, he says, O mankind, worship your Lord who created you and who created those who came before you so that perhaps you will attain piety. And this is verse 21 from Surah Al-Baqarah. Allah Ta'ala, He says, O mankind, addressing all of man, all human beings, all human beings, from the mankind and the jinn, worship your Lord we see Allah Ta'ala utilizes Rabbakum, your Lord. Naam, it's Sahid, Rububiyyah. Worship your Lord who created you. The fact that Allah Ta'ala is the creator and He creates, all of this is from it's Sahid, Rububiyyah. That Allah Ta'ala, who is Khaliq, He is the creator. Then this is from the affairs of At-Tawheed, Al-Rububiyyah. Allah Ta'ala, He says, who created you and those who came before you so that perhaps you will attain piety. Allah Ta'ala, He goes on to say in the 22nd verse, the next verse, the one who made the earth for you as a place of rest. The one who made the earth for you as a place of rest. Some translations, it says as a bed. Naam, made the earth for you as a bed, a place of rest. Naam, and who has made the sky as a canopy. Who has made the sky as a canopy. All of this are referring to what? To things in which Allah Ta'ala has created. And this is from the affairs of Rububiyyah. Allah Ta'ala, he goes on to say what means. And who sends down from the sky water. Who sends down from the sky water. And then he brings forth by way of it vegetation. He brings forth by way of it vegetation as sustenance and provisions for you. The affair of the of, of Allah Ta'ala being Raziq, the sustainer, then this is from the affairs of Rububiyyah. This is from the affairs of Tawheed Rububiyyah. So all up until this point, we are seeing a tawheed al-rububiyyah 
outside of the statement, Ya rabbakum. O mankind, worship your Lord. Worship your Lord. Because the worshiping of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone is from the affairs of the Tawheed and Uluhiyyah. So the ayah, the ayah, it starts off with the mention of the Tawheed and Uluhiyyah. And then it goes to mentioning aspects of the Tawheed and Rububiyyah as a proof to the establishment of the Tawheed and Uluhiyyah. And the proof it comes in Allah Ta'ala's statement. فَلَا So do not set up rivals and worship with Allah. Do not set up rivals and worship with Allah. وَأَنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ And you know. Do not set up rivals and worship with Allah. And you know that Allah, He is your Khaliq. He is your Raziq. You know that Allah is the one who created you. You know Allah is the one who sustains you. You know this. You know that Allah is unchallenged in his rububiyyah. So therefore, do not bring any challenge to his uluhiyyah. So you find that a tawheed al-rububiyyah is used as a dalil for the establishment of a tawheed al-uluhiyyah. This is the type of education we have to make sure that we are upon and we're sharing and educating and rearing our children upon both males and females this is something that is of tremendous importance and I can't stress it more and I can't stress it more especially to the sisters especially to the mothers I can't stress this more because the reality is that the mothers they are the ones who spend the most time with the children they are the ones who will spend the most time with the children, especially in their early years when they're developing, especially in their early years. The mothers are the ones who spend the most time with the children. So it is a must that the mother, that she instills the importance of tawheed and the dangers of shirk inside of her children, that she instills in them. The importance of a tawheed and the dangers of shirk. But she won't be able to do this if she herself is not seeking knowledge. She won't be able to do this if she herself is not upon the proper methodology with regards to knowledge. She herself won't be able to do this if she is not one who prioritizes in her education. She won't be able to do it. So this is how we see that what it is incumbent that all of these things be set in place. All of these things we set in place and that an emphasis is placed upon it. So this will require hard work. This will require working hard to implement what we know. This will require being diligent and sharing what we know. This will require having the proper methodology and partization when it comes to our education. This is a must. So it's going to require from us effort. Strong effort, serious effort. And I don't mean an effort with your tongue, because that's easy. It's easy to say, yes, we, we're going to do, yes, I'm about to do, huh? yes, uh, and soon I will do, and so on and so forth. This is easy to bring forth the movement of the tongue with the lip service. That's easy. We don't want that, but we want this actualized. We want it actualized that translates into 
spending many hours in classes, spending many hours reading, spending many hours putting forth questions to the ulama or to the students of knowledge in your area so that they may transmit them to the ulama and bring you back the answer. Naam, this is important. It's going to take effort. It's going to take effort. You're not going to benefit without putting forth the effort and doing the work. So you have to put forth the effort and you have to do the work. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to show us the importance of the establishment of a tawheed and the dangers of shirk. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in surah Al-An'am verse 151 where therein you find there is recorded the Ten Commandments as they are called and referred to. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, قُلْ تَعَالُوا Say to them, come, I shall recite to you what your Lord has prohibited upon you. I shall recite to you what your Lord has prohibited upon you. I want you to reflect upon the first thing that is mentioned. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, أَلَّا تُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا Do not associate partners in his worship whatsoever. Do not associate anything as a partner in his worship. The first thing that is mentioned is Allah Ta'ala prohibiting a shirk. So therefore we have to be instilling inside of our children from the first of their lessons, the dangers of shirk, the harm of shirk, how shirk is that which is unacceptable. They must never accept it in any which way, shape and form. It is that which is despicable and nasty. They must hate it in all of its aspects and manifestations. We have to rear this within our children. And especially you mothers, as aforementioned, you, we, you have to rear this inside of your children and teach them this and rear them in them a hatred for shirk and a hatred for those who indulge in shirk and a hatred for the polytheists and that they free themselves from the polytheists. We have to teach our children this from the time that they're young. So that they will never, ever, never have any type of leniency to any aspects of shirk whatsoever. The great Imam Muhammad bin Abdul Wahhab, rahimahullahu ta'ala, he mentions, he says, وَأَعْذَمُ مَا أَمَرَ اللَّهُ بِهِ التَّوْحِيدِ He says, and the greatest thing that Allah has commanded with, then verily it is a tawheed. This is the greatest thing. This is why our education begins here. He says, وَهُوَ إِفْرَادُ اللَّهِ بِالْعِبَادَةِ And it is to single out Allah alone with worship. وَأَعْذَمْ مَا نَهَا عَنْهُ الشِّرْكِ and the greatest thing that he has prohibited 
then it is shirk. And it is to call upon others along with him. It is to call upon others along with him. That this is the greatest prohibition. This is the greatest prohibition. So, when we reflect upon these words, we see and we can understand from another angle the importance of it, tawheed and the dangers of shirk. The Imam Rahimullah Ta'ala he goes on and he says, What Dalil Qawluhu Ta'ala and the proof is the most high statement. And worship Allah and do not associate partners with him. This can be found in Surah An Nisa verse thirty-six. And worship Allah alone. And do not associate partners with him whatsoever. Do not associate anything as a partner with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the greatest command to worship Allah. And this is the greatest prohibition. And do not make shirk. Do not make shirk. We have to instill in our children the importance of it, tawheed. That tawheed that is so important. That tawheed that is so vital. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ مِنْ رَسُولِ وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ مِنْ رَسُولِ إِلَّا نُوحِي إِلَيْهِ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنَا فَاعْبُدُونَ Allah Ta'ala, He says in Surah Al-Anbiya, verse 25, And we have not sent before you, O Muhammad, a messenger, except that we reveal to him that verily nothing has the right to be worshipped in truth except me. So therefore worship me. The importance of Tawheed is illustrated in the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He did not send a single messenger except that they came with the call of a Tawheed. Except they came with the call of La ilaha illallah. So to show you the importance is that what? Is that there was never a messenger that came except that he called his people to a tawheed and he warned his people from shirk. This is tremendous now to show us the importance. This is the methodology that we have to be upon. When one reflects upon this now, then they see the danger in having conceptually inside of your mind the understanding that education begins with ABCs, one, two, threes. No. Education begins with teaching the importance of a tawheed. Education begins with teaching the dangers of shirk. That's where it begins. That's what's most important. Learning your ABCs and one, two, threes, that's just going to help you understand that better. That's just going to help you when you're seeking of knowledge so that you can understand that better. But that's not where it begins. It begins with educating the children of the importance of a tawheed and the dangers of a shirk. But if we don't got it, we can't give it. And this is why it's incumbent upon us to seek knowledge. It's incumbent upon us to learn. Inshallah ta'ala, I request everyone, as we requested before, to have with you a pen and a paper. I request everyone, inshallah ta'ala, to have with you a suitable writing instrument. Naam. 
Because I want you to write down the references for these ayat. So that you may go back and write them inside of a separate notebook. So that you at your leisure can memorize from them. So that you may memorize the proofs and the evidence on this matter. Or from the proofs and the evidences on this matter. Naam. So this ayah, as we said, is in Surah Al-Anbiya, verse number 25. Allah Ta'ala, He also says, وَلَقَدَ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ رَسُولًا أَنِعْبَدُ اللَّهَ وَاشْتَنِبُ الطَّاغُوتِ And this can be found in Surah Al-Nahl, verse 36. Again, Surah Al-Nahl, verse 26. 36, I'm sorry. In Surah Nahl, verse 36. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says what means, And verily, we have sent to every nation was sent a messenger telling them to worship Allah alone and to stay away from the false deities. So we see here again that there wasn't a messenger except that he came to his people instructing them and commanding them to establish the Tawheed and warning them from committing shirk and warning them from committing shirk this is tremendous again these are from those things that we have to know well and educate our children with regards to so that it is common knowledge in the muslim community it is common knowledge in the muslim community because unfortunately right now this is not common knowledge in the Muslim communities. Because you have from mankind the evil ones who say that Tawheed separates the people. We can't have unity if we're going to be talking about Tawheed and talking about Aqeedah. It's going to cause division. We say to them, with regards to what is really unity, then Tawheed and aqidah, the proper aqidah, it is that which will bring the people together in reality. It is that which will bring the people together in reality. So if the aim is true unity, then that is upon the truth. That is upon the haqq. That is upon teaching people tawheed. Upon teaching them the proper aqidah. It is upon the haqq. That's what true unity is built upon. So we tell them that this, if this is what you're looking for, then... We have to call the people to a tawheed. But if what you fear is a separation between the truth and the falsehood, then yes, we agree with your statement that tawheed will separate the people. We agree with your statement that the aqidah will separate the people. If you fear the good being separated from the evil, then this will be a motivation to try to hide Tawheed, to try to hide Aqeedah. Because the reality is that it will separate the people. It will separate those who are good from those who are evil. 
It will separate those who are upon Tawheed from those who are upon Shirk. It will separate those who have the proper Aqeedah from those who are upon Bid'ah. It will separate those who are upon the Haqq from those who are upon Ba'atil. And this is required. This is desired. This is what we want. We want to separate the people, separating the good from the bad. We want to separate the people, separating the tayyib from the khabif. We want to do that. That is our aim, to separate the good from the bad, to make distinct the truth from the falsehood, to make distinct the truth from the falsehood. This is why it is from the methodology of Ahl Sunnati wal Jama'ah that we never muddy the waters by mixing with the people of innovation. We never muddy the waters and cause confusion by increasing the numbers of the people of innovation. We never do this. Why? Because that will confuse the people. They will think that we're all together upon one thing. There will be no separation of truth from falsehood. So you will find people will digest the good and the bad. They will digest that which harms them as well as that which may benefit them. So therefore, they will be harmed. So the da'wah of Ahlul Sunnah is that we don't do this. We bring about a distinction between the truth and between the falsehood, between that which is good and that which is bad, between that which is correct and that which is false and erroneous. And the way that that is established is by separating ourselves, our da'wah and our persons to the best of our ability from what? From the people of innovation. We don't sit with them. We don't eat with them. We don't walk down the street laughing and jolly with them. No. We don't honor them. We don't do that. Why? Because of the evil that they are upon from bid'ah. We don't do that. So you will find these evil callers, their call has become prolific in the land that people have turned away from a tawheed, turned away from learning about tawheed, turned away from learning about the dangers of shirk and what is shirk. So you find, unfortunately, in the Muslim community, these things are not well known. These things are not common knowledge. And the proof can be seen in those Muslims who go to the graves and seek help and assistance from those who are dead in the graves. But yet they're saying, La ilaha illallah. This is an indication that they have no understanding of La ilaha illallah. This is because they have been duped, a lot of them, into this false and erroneous practice, polytheistic practice. This is because the evil ones have become so numerous and their da'wah so prolific that they have led many astray. They have put many in a very bad situation. So for Ahlul Sunnah, it is incumbent upon us that we study and that we teach ourselves and our families or that we study and we, we learn and we teach our families and we instill in them and that we become strong with regards to this knowledge of knowing the importance of it tawheed and the dangers of it shirk and we convey this to our Muslim brothers and we and our Muslim sisters and we continue to do this and we continue to do this and we strive to do this and we strive to do this and we don't stop doing this until there's no shirk upon the land. The only time we stop is when shirk is eradicated. That's when we stop. Until the eradication of shirk then we will never stop. We can never stop. We must never stop. Because as you see 
from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, he never stopped. He never stopped calling to it Tawheed and warning the people from shirk. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He informs us of the dangers and the perils of shirk. Allah ta'ala He says إِنَّهُ مَنْ يُشْرِكْ بِاللَّهِ فَقَدْ حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ الْجَنَّةِ وَمَأْوَاهُ النَّارِ وَمَا لِلظَّالِمِينَ مِنْ أَنصَارِ This is in Surah Al-Ma'idah, verse 72. Again, this is Surah Al-Ma'idah, verse 72. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, And verily, the one who commits shirk with Allah, the one who associates partners with Allah in worship, either because they make dua to other than Allah, or because they make istighatha, they seek refuge in times of peril with other than Allah, or because they slaughter to other than Allah, so on and so forth, from the categories of ibadah. If they give any of them to other than Allah, and they commit this shirk, this major shirk, Allah Ta'ala, He says, فَقَدْ حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ الْجَنَّةِ Then verily Allah, Allah, verily Allah will make prohibited for that person heaven. What will be prohibited for that person? What will be haram for that person? Heaven, al-jannah, haram for him. Why? Because he committed shirk. These are lessons we have to instill inside of ourselves and instill inside of our children. That shirk is so disgusting, so despicable, so heinous that the one who, who commits shirk, Allah will make Jannah haram for him. If there is not other but this, as an indication to show us the danger of shirk, then this is sufficient. Then this is sufficient. That Jannah will be haram. Because in the hereafter, there are only two options. Either the Jannah, heaven, or Annar, the hellfire. That's it. There's no third option. There's no third abode. It's either the Jannah or the hellfire. That's it. So if Jannah is made prohibited, then the only option becomes what? The hellfire. And this is not an option. This is not an option of any sane individual. This is not acceptable to anyone who has an ounce of sense and intellect. So therefore we realize that that thing which will make us ineligible for Jannah, that it is from the most greatest and dangerous of things. So this has to be at the head of the education. This has to be at the head of the education due to the extreme danger. Allah Ta'ala, he goes on and he says that his abode will be the hellfire. And you won't find for the criminals any helper. You won't find for the criminals any helper. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, he says, Inna Allah Allah 
Allah Ta'ala, he says, what means? And verily Allah does not forgive that partners be associated with him in worship. But he forgives other than that to whom he pleases. This ayah here is an indication that those who commit shirk, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he will not forgive them. That they're committing of polytheism and being practitioners of polytheism, this will make them in, ineligible to receive forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But one reflects upon this now and they realize that shirk, it makes one ineligible to receive Allah's forgiveness. Then they realize that this is dangerous. Not a little dangerous, but from the most dangerous of things. That there is nothing more dangerous than this. And if this was the only pitfall and harm of shirk, then this would be enough to establish its danger. But it's not. Allah Ta'ala, He has already told us, as we have heard in the previous ayah, what? That the one who makes shirk, the jannah, is haram for him. The jannah is what? Haram for him. So Allah here in this ayah in Surah and Nisa verse 48, Allah Ta'ala informs us that the one who makes shirk, he will not be forgiven. He will not be forgiven. Allah Ta'ala, he tells us وَمَن يُشْرِكْ بِاللَّهِ فَقَدْ ضَلَّ ضَلَالًا بَعِيدًا This is in Surah An-Nisa as well, verse 116. Allah Ta'ala, He says what means, And verily the one who associates partners with Allah in worship, then verily He has gone far, far astray. Naam. فَقَدْ ضَلَّ He has gone astray. How astray? A little bit astray? He's a little bit off the path? He's near the path though? No. Allah Ta'ala, He says, ضَلَالًا بَعِيدًا Very, very far astray. This is something that should make you fearful. The ulama tafsir, they mention that when we see the likes of these ayat, that mention an individual being far, far astray, it is that which should bring fear to you. Because we know that Allah's way is one. We know this. Allah's way is one. The Surat al-Mustaqeem is one. The straight path is one. One path. That's it. If a person gets off of that path, and before that, that, that path, Allah's path, that's the path that leads to Jannah, Right? And that is the what? The only path that leads to the Jannah. There are no other paths that lead to Jannah. So that Sufi saying that uh, that that uh, the truth is like uh, roads upon a mountain all leading to the same summit, then this is incorrect. Or that it is like spokes on a wheel leading all to a common center, that's incorrect. That's not true. That's wrong. Allah Ta'ala he informs that his, that his way is one. It's one. But the ways of misguidance, and they are many. 
In any event, I digress. When one goes far off of the straight path, the only path that leads to the Jannah, if they go so far or have such a distance between them and the path, it makes the probability of them finding themselves back to the path very unlikely. So therefore we see that being far, far astray is something that is tremendous. That's like a person trying to reach a destination. But then they take so many wrong turns. They become so turned around. That they no longer know their north from their south, east from their west, so on and so forth. How will they be able to reach their intended destination? The reality is that what? More than likely, they will not reach it. More than likely, they will not reach it. So this is something that is a tremendous warning. That the one who makes shirk, he is one who is far far astray he's so far off from the straight path that the likeliness of him coming back is very improbable if this was the only danger that was associated with shirk then this would have been enough is that it would get you so turned so turned around from the straight path that you may not find your way back. Then this is enough to show us the danger of a shirk. This is enough to show us the danger of a shirk. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He tells us in his noble book. Inna shirka ladhulmun azim. That verily shirk. Is the greatest injustice. Verily, shirk is from the greatest injustice. As human beings, all human beings, they have an appreciation for justice. They have an appreciation for justice. They have an appreciation for things being placed in the right place. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He informs us in this ayah that shirk is the greatest unjust thing. It is the greatest injustice. Because as the ulama, they explain that adil, justice, its meaning is that you place everything inside of its proper place. And that the opposite of adil, that it is dhulm. And dhulm is that you put something in an improper place. You put it where it doesn't belong. So shirk is the greatest oppression. Shirk is the greatest oppressive act. Naam, it is the greatest injustice. And when we say oppressive act, we don't mean anything except that when an individual makes shirk, he would have oppressed himself with the greatest oppression. He would have committed the greatest injustice by worshipping other than Allah Ta'ala. By putting the worship in other than his proper place. Because it all belongs to Allah Jalla wa'ala When we look at this What we want for ourselves To commit the greatest act of injustice 
what we want for ourselves to be upon the greatest injustice ever, then the answer will be no. When we want this for our children, the answer will be no. Kalla, thumma alfi kalla, no way. A thousand times more over, no way. So if one were to reflect upon this, he would realize that if, if this was the only thing, the only peril and danger of shirk, then this will be enough to show us the danger of shirk. Is that it is the greatest injustice. The greatest injustice. But we know that that is not the only danger of shirk. Yes, it is the greatest injustice. But it is also that which will make the Jannah haram. It is also that which will make you ineligible to receive Allah's forgiveness. It is also that that will put you so far off of the path, you won't find your way back. So we realize that there is nothing more dangerous than shirk. So this has to be an integral part of our education. The Prophet وسلم, he says in a hadith that has been collected by Al-Bukhari and Muslim, أَعْذَمُ أَن تَجْعَلَ لِلَّهِ نِدًّا وَهُوَ خَلَقَكَ The Prophet وسلم, he said, the greatest crime, the greatest crime, the greatest sin, the greatest crime is to set up a rival with Allah in worship. And Allah is the one who created you. You see? The greatest crime is to set up a rival for Allah and worship. To worship something else along with Allah. This is the greatest crime. The greatest sin. And it is Allah the one who created you. So you see here that the Prophet Wasallam, he is also what? He's utilizing a tawheed al-rububiyyah as a proof for the establishment of a tawheed al-uluhiyyah. Amen. Allahu Akbar. Ala kulli hal. If a person came and they said to you, what is your opinion about crimes? What do you, what do you think about crimes? You think they're okay? Would you like to be one who, create, who, who makes the greatest crime? Would you like to be one who does the greatest crime, the worst crime ever? A crime that is worse than murder? Huh? If someone came and they gave you a gun and they said, I want you to go and shoot someone randomly in the head and kill him. You will say, I will not do this. This is murder. I don't want him to do murder. Because we know how evil, how despicable, disgusting murder is, right? So we say, I don't want to do that. That's murder. I'm going to do that. No way. I don't want that. So he said, would you like for your children to become murderers? You will say no. Would you like for your children, all of them, to become serial killers? You will say no. Don't want them to do that. So we teach our children what? Don't kill. Killing is wrong. Right? That's what we teach them. Because we don't want them to become serial killers. What if one person that came and he said, listen, Zina, you should do Zina. We say, la, it's haram. It's despicable. It's disgusting. Allah Ta'ala tells us, don't go near it. We ain't doing that. So he says, okay, would you like for your children that they all become fornicators? We will say, no. What most despicable thing? That our children will commit fornication. This is something despicable. We'll never want this. 
for myself, not for my children, for, for anyone. What a nasty thing. Naam. And it's nasty, it's disgusting, despicable. One comes and he says, listen, would you like to rob and steal? He would say, no, this is the most despicable thing. Would you like for your children to become robbers and stealers? We would say, no, this is a despicable thing. We don't want this for ourselves, nor for our children, nor for anyone. What an evil thing. We realize these things are evil, right? But all of these things, all of these crimes, they pale in comparison to shirk. Shirk is worse than all these things. Shirk is worse than all these things. That a man fornicates with his own mother and then turn around and he kills her after having ro had robbed her is less than shirk. You understand? Is less than shirk. Shirk is the most evil, the worst of all crimes. The worst crime. There's no crime worse. So when one reflects upon this and he realizes that shirk is the worst of all crimes, then he would realize the danger of shirk. And he would know that if, if this was the only pitfall of shirk, then this will be enough. If this was the only pitfall of shirk, then this will be enough to show us its danger. That it is the worst of all crimes. That even fornication is not as bad as it. That even a serial killer is not as bad as the mushrik. Then we would know we definitely don't want nothing to do with it. We definitely have to rear our children and teach them the danger of it. The same way we don't want our children going out and becoming fornicators. The same way we don't want our children going out and becoming murderers. Even more so. Even more so. Even more so, we should warn them so that they never become polytheists. So that they never become those who make shirk. Allah Ta'ala, He says in His noble book in Surah Az-Zumar, وَلَقَدْ أُوحِيَ إِلَيْكَ وَإِلَّا الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ لَإِنْ أَشْرَكْتَ لَيَحْبَطَنَّ عَمَلُكَ وَلَا تَكُونَنَّ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ بَلِ اللَّهَ فَعْبُدْ وَكُنْ مِنَ الشَّاكِرِينَ Allah Ta'ala says in Surah Zumar, and this is verse 65 and 66. Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala, He says what means. And verily it has been revealed to you, O Muhammad. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is addressing the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And verily it has been revealed to you, O Muhammad, just like it was revealed to those who came before you, that if you make shirk, that even you, O Muhammad, even if you make shirk, then verily, no doubt, undoubtedly, your deeds will be rendered null and void. La yahbatanna amalu. That verily, no doubt, your deeds will be rendered null and void. Your deeds will not count. This ayah here, it shows us that what? That there is no exception to this rule. 
that if a person comes with the major shirk, he has no deeds. The mushrik has no deeds. His deeds do not count. If one were to reflect upon this and contemplate upon this, they will realize that if, if this was the only peril, was the only danger of shirk, then this will be enough to establish the danger of shirk. This will be enough to establish the danger of shirk. Is that it will render a person's deeds null and void. Render his good deeds don't count. None of them. Allah Ta'ala goes on to say, And verily, undoubtedly, you will be from the losers. Verily, undoubtedly, you will be from the losers. So therefore, worship Allah alone and be from those who are thankful. When we reflect upon this and we see these dangers, we see that there is nothing more dangerous than shirk. There is nothing more dangerous than shirk. Which means that its opposite will be that which is most important. Because the opposite of shirk, it is tawheed. There is nothing more dangerous than shirk, and there's nothing more important than tawheed. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inside of the Ten Commandments, He begins with, Allah tushriku bihi shay'a, and do not associate partners with Him whatsoever. Do not associate anything as a partner with him whatsoever. Inshallah ta'ala, I want to encourage everyone who is hearing my voice to strive hard to learn and implement that which they have learned and to call others to the good to have the proper and sound methodology with regards to education and to put an emphasis on education and the proper education and to understand with the complete understanding the importance of a tawheed and the dangers of a shirk. وجزاكم الله خيرا والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته